Awesome. Thank you. Yes, it's exciting times. Uh, may God's will be done. It's going to be good. So we've been talking about, well, hello. Hello on stream, online. Welcome to the room. Uh, I love having people in the building. I don't know. Some people like preaching to a camera, and I'm okay with it, but man, seeing people, even if I can only see half your faces, <laughs> it's still better than, than nothing. So, uh, fantastic. I've been talking about this new church, this new me, and uh, following on from our kingdom subject that we've been talking about, the kingdom of God. And as I was thinking about this, um, I, I've been reading a bit in the book of James. And uh, last time I got, I got to share on this idea of double-mindedness. I don't, I don't know if, if all of you saw that, but we talked from James chapter 1, the idea of being double-minded, where our head and our heart are not in unity. There's this conflict where we, we think that's true, but it doesn't quite feel true to us and how God wants to give us a, a unity of mind and heart. And so today, I want to share a little bit from James chapter 2, coincidentally. I didn't intend on that, but that's just where we've ended up. But let me tell you a little bit about the book of James. I've done a bit of research this week, and I found some interesting things. So did you know that the name James is actually, it's an English translation, effectively, and his name was probably actually Jacob or Jacob. So a more correct translation of James's name would be Jacob. Um, and that also applies to Jesus' two disciples, James, son of Alphaeus, James, son of De Zebedee. They're actually probably Jacob. Um, so the chosen might not have got that completely right. But it seems to, to be pretty clear to us calling him James. And so this James that wrote the book of James, or this Jacob, uh, was Jesus's half-brother. And uh, he would have grown up with Jesus and probably didn't trust him. And then all of a sudden, he's encountered the risen Jesus and had a complete life transformation. And he became sort of the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Peter went out to plant more churches when Peter had his Gentile revelation. And so James, he's writing a letter. And in, in the beginning of chapter 1, it says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, which is another way to say to God's people who have spread out all across the world. And so unlike the Apostle Paul, who's often writing to a particular church in a particular place, James is writing to the global church, to everyone, including you and I today. And he put together in this quite short letter these 12 articles of wisdom that kind of formed the legacy that James wanted or Jacob wanted to leave behind uh, when he was no longer going to be around. And when you read this book, it's, it's quite reminiscent of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon of the Mount. And it's also a lot like the first nine or ten chapters of Proverbs, this wisdom literature. And so when you read it, you get that same kind of feel of, wow, like jam-packed. And, and it really is jam-packed. It's, it's so concentrated and refined. When I read the book of James, I feel like I've taken a shot of Cotty's Cordial Cult, like straight up. You know, no water, not watered down. It's just like, whoa, yeah, okay. Bam, like that's, that's he doesn't hold back. He just goes straight into the meat and he, he doesn't 
care about your feelings. He's a little bit like Ben Shapiro, I think. And so today I want to look at um, one of the 12 ideas that are in the book of James. And uh, it's in chapter 2, starting from verse 14. And when I look at this passage, in my Bible today, it's, it's titled, Faith Without Works is Dead. But when you look at this passage and you consider the context, when you think about who James was, who he was writing to, um, and the overall tone of his writing, today I would probably say that this, pay, this passage, uh, is what James is trying to say is, do you even faith, bro? Do you, did you skip faith day? That's, that's the tone, honestly. Like, genuinely, that's the tone. It's like, come on, come on, guys, because he's, he's, he's having a bit of a go. So let's read the passage, and then uh, we'll, we'll break it down together. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, them, or one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works not, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Do you even faith, bro? Like, you got that tone, right? It's like, come on. Now, this passage, when I, I revisited it the other day, and it was a bit of a dilemma. I'm like, ooh, this, this is, do I really understand this? Because, you know, we've got this whole faith by grace alone thing. And then you come across scripture like this, and it's like, what is, what's going on here? And I discovered in my research that this is one of the most controversial passages uh, and it always comes up in debates between the faith plus works crowd and the faith by grace crowd. So, you know, we've got like Catholicism, Mormonism over here, and then Protestants, including us and Baptists and things over here. And so there's this real tension where it's like, no, no, read the Bible. It's all about grace. God does it all. We don't do anything. And they're like, well, hang on. Look at James chapter 2, verse 14 and to 26, mate. What do you, what do you make of that? And it can be a real sticky point. And, and when I revisited this, I was like, oh, like I've got to chew on this for a while. I've got to really understand this. And so I started Googling, like, what do people say about James chapter 2? And I'm listening to different opinions and piecing it together. And I think I've got it. I think I've figured it out, and it's okay. 
I think we're on the right interpretation side of things. And so I want to break this passage down for you today and pull out some revelations that I've had. So let's go uh, from verse 14 again at the beginning. It's, it says, what good is it or of what benefit? How does this help anything? My brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith, can that kind of faith save him? So he's introducing this topic with an important question that he wants to answer. Is, and, and he's not looking at the quality of someone's works, but rather the quality of their faith. He's saying, if, if you have a faith that doesn't have any kind of follow-through, any kind of transformation in your life, can that faith actually save you? Big question. Like, whoa, I didn't say it, James did, all right? Look, it's in your Bible. It's not me. So he goes on to give an example. So he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that again? Of what benefit? How would that help? That's what that, that translation means. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Let me give you a culturally relevant example. Let's say somebody in our church comes to you. And they say, look, I've got some reasons why I've not yet been able to get vaccinated. And it's meant that I've lost my job and I can't afford to feed my family this week. And we turn around and we say, oh, you know what, brother? You know, God's got it. God's got you. He's going to look up. You know, he supplies your needs. He's going to look after you. So, you know, you can have peace. I'm going to be praying for you this week. I have peace. And I'm sure you're going to get through it. Good. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Yet we have the complete ability to say, here's a wish gift card for 100 bucks. go feed your family. Or, hey, I'm going to cook you a meal. I'll bring it around on Wednesday night, right? So he's saying when you've got the ability to help someone and you just give them a whole lot of faith talk, what good is that? Is, is that really faith? He's saying that kind of faith is dead. It doesn't have any kind of power. It doesn't have any kind of influence. It won't transform you. It won't help anybody. And guess what? It's probably not even going to save you. Whoa. Like I said, straight cordial. So if you're not ready, maybe there's a bottle of water out the back. Now, he knows he's being controversial, this guy, and I like him. It's almost like he's posting on social media because he knows someone's going to... Someone's going to disagree with what he's just said. And so he, before anyone can get in and reply, he's like, okay, let me, let me create this. And Paul does this sometimes too in his letters. Let me create this person who's going to oppose this idea. So in verse 18, he says, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now this, I didn't get it at first. I'm like, hang on, what? Who's, there's too many you's and I's and who's talking about who and, and I need to go back and do year nine grammar again or something. And, and so I, I really, again, I researched, studied and tried to understand oh, what, is, what is this verse even actually saying? Like it's English, I can say that much, but it's almost like talking to my three-year-old when they're trying to ask me for something. I'm like, what you, what you, how about you? Do you ever believe you can do what you do, what we do, you could, you do, could, what you do, you could do anything? <laughs> 
if you haven't seen that YouTube video, you should. So I think the best way for us to understand this, and is that up on the screen? Yeah, so see that you have faith and I have works. If you take the quotations off it, you get a better understanding of who's saying what here. So he's saying, someone will say, and remember he's writing to the greater church, but he's currently addressing the kinds of Christians who have faith but no works to show the faith. He's saying, you have faith. In other words, the person who I'm talking to, you have faith, and I, James, have works. So someone's going to accuse and say, oh, yeah, 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 they've got faith, you've got works, it's all good. There's, there's two different schools of thought in, in the church at the moment. You have faith, I, James, have works. And then he says, well, okay then, show me your faith without using works. I'm waiting. Show me. How, how is anyone going to know that you have any kind of powerful faith if I can't see it through the way that you live your life? And he says, look, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you. That, that's how people are going to know. That's how we're going to spread the gospel. That's how people are going to get the good news, right? Does that make sense? It's like clicks? Yeah. It took me a while. I'm like, you, I, me. But I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying right here. He's basically saying actions speak louder than words. And he's going to show you what true faith is like through his works. So he goes on, still talking to this imaginary person who he's, who's I guess he's sort of straw-manning, but he's got a pretty strong argument. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. In other words, yeah, you say, you say all the right things, we agree on doctrine. Yep, that's good. But guess what, mate? Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Like, at least there's some action following their belief. Like, they're, they're terrified. And I think in this verse, he's addressing the, what I call the life insurance believers. It's like, it's like you want to just to make sure. Like, yeah, okay, that sounds legit. Like, Jesus is Lord, sin, devil, hell, God, grace. Yep, cool. Like, I'll take that on board. And, and I'm, I believe, yeah, I agree. That sounds right. But it's sort of like life insurance. Like, you know, I don't want to end up in hell. So I'm, I'm going I'm to join that camp. And he's kind of saying to them, well, guess what, mate? Even the devil, even the demons agree with you. And they're terrified about it. So what good is that? Again, he's doubling down on this idea. It's not simply enough to agree. You need to have a transforming kind of faith. He keeps talking, he's, and now he's like, he's, he's ready. He's, he's, I can imagine he's writing this, and he's just worked himself up. And he's like, in verse 20, he goes, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that apart from faith, works is useless? Like, he's starting to call him names. But, well, he's, he's not really being derogatory, though. He's saying it's foolish. It's folly. It's, he's really emphasizing this point that faith that doesn't produce a Jesus-like life won't save you. It's no good. It's, it's basically nothing. It's dead. That's what he's saying. And now he goes into some examples. And this is where things get a little bit tricky for us, uh, Protestant Pentecostals. Uh, he says, Was not Abraham our father 
justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Ooh. How do we take this? Because it seems a bit awkward. <laughs> like, wait on. What is he talking about here? Now, I think the problem or the mistake that we make when we read this part of Scripture, it's, it's a common mistake, which is that we take a word in a sentence and we take an entire theological doctrine and put it in that word. Rather than taking the word at face value for what it normally means. So in this case, we're going to look at the word justified. So yes, it is true that we use the word justified, and so did the early church, to represent the doctrine of salvation. A sinner being made right in the eyes of God. That's what justification is. And, and, and there are many verses that talk about it. Just being justified in this context. However, the more straightforward meaning of the word justified that you'd find in your dictionary is to prove to be right, to, to prove to be true, to show that something is true or right. You know, they were justified by what they did. They were justified in their actions. That, that thing that happened, it justified their position, right? That's how we'd use that term. And I believe that that is how we should use this word justified. We are not supposed to take the entire doctrine of salvation and put it in this word and then try and read the sentence. We need to take the sentence as it's written and as the words would at face value mean. And this applies to the original language as it does to our translation. And the reason I, I'm confident that we can say this is because he says, Abraham was justified by works when, important word, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. And he talks about how they, that work uh, completed his faith or fulfilled what was said, which is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, you would know that when Abraham was counted as righteous in the eyes of God, that was decades before Isaac on the altar, before Isaac was even born. In Genesis chapter 15, God takes Abraham out of his tent and says, look at the stars, and he gives him this promise and it was once God gave him the promise, Abraham believed. And that was when his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And that was the moment in which Abraham was saved. But the moment that we could then see that he could be proved to have faith, or he, his faith was justified, was when he actually obeyed God and, and was willing to give up his own son. It was his actions, his works, that justified his faith in the sense of proved that he actually had real, transforming faith from God. Make sense? And so when we read this, 
it makes a lot more sense. And, and what James is trying to say in that last section, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's saying you can't just say that you believe. If you want to really know if you truly believe, look at your life. Look at whether you're willing to obey God. Look at what fruit comes out of you. That is how you will know whether or not you have true faith. He gives a second example. Uh, he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab, and this is the Rahab from Jericho. Uh, she was in the walls of Jericho and the spies of Israel went in to check out the city and she protected them and shielded them and sent them out. Wait, is that Jericho or is this Lot? It's Jericho, right? Good. I, I thought it was. I just remembered the Lot story and got confused. It's sort of similar. So, and then Jericho, that's right. Jericho, God tumbles the city and her house is left standing miraculously. So God protects her. And so this, this Rahab, we can see that uh, she was justified, in other words, her, her works of protecting the messengers and sending them another way justified her faith. It showed us that she truly had faith in God and God could see that, even though we, we, we sometimes can't. So James gives us two examples, and I want to give you an example of my own, of this idea that it is not your works that qualify your faith, but it's actually the, the, the type of faith that you have that produces your works. Now, my example is nowhere near as spiritual as James's, um, but what I've come to learn is that the, our spiritual life and our physical life are so connected, um, and real practical things can have a real spiritual impact. And so, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my parents were good parents, and uh, they still are, in fact. And they would take us to the dentist, you know, every year, and um, we'd go and get checkups. And, and I remember every time the dentist would say, you know, make sure you floss every day. Make sure you floss every day, brush morning and night, you know. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And look, through my childhood, there was times where I would give flossing a go, but largely it didn't really happen. And then when I turned 18, uh, I was now responsible for my own dental appointments. And um, now I'm almost 30 and I've never been back. <laughs> but I've, look, I had pretty good teeth and I, I thought I looked after them and, um, and I didn't need any braces or anything, thank, thank goodness. And um, they're relatively straight. Geordie points out how they're not as perfect as hers because she's had them all, you know, manicured perfectly. But... Um, you know, I, I've always known and I've always agreed that, yes, you, you should floss every day. You should floss every day. Um, but despite trying to make that a habit in my life, I, I, I probably lasted max a week. Like, I'd, I'd get real good motivation, like, oh, that's it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this into my dental care routine, you know, and it might last five days and then I just drop it and it didn't happen. Well, that's, that's been the better part of the last 10 years. But uh, that all changed when I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I love podcasts. I think podcasts are the greatest piece of media of modern today um, because you get unscripted, unfiltered, uncut conversations. And if you get the right podcast, you get really 
important, intelligent people who can actually talk about real issues and even disagree on them, which is a rare thing to see these days. And you can see people disagree and you can kind of figure out what the truth is. And so one of my favorite podcasts, now I'll, I'll let you know, I used to drive between three and four hours every day to get to and from work before I was on staff here at church. So I know podcasts, okay? Like I would listen literally for hours a day. I would listen to podcasts. I've got everything from like movie critique podcasts to science podcasts to theology. Anyway, I won't go on. But one of my favorite podcasts is called The Drive. And uh, it's hosted by a guy called Peter Atia. And he's a medical doctor. And I think he's got some world records in long distance swimming as well. Like he's a real phenomenal guy. And he's made this podcast called The Drive because he loves car racing. But it's actually about health and wellness. How do you maximize your health and live as long as you can in, in the best ways. And he's trying to assemble all this content and he's interviewing amazing people all the time. And so I listened to him interview this woman named Patricia Corby. Uh, she's from South America and she's an oral expert doctor. I don't know what the proper orthodontist, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, she knows what she's talking about. And I listened to them talk for two and a half hours while I was vacuuming the house and doing other chores. Uh, on dental care, right? And I, I was scared to death. <laughs> like this, this podcast took my knowledge and transformed it into understanding. Have you ever had that feeling? It's really quite a elated feeling of having all this knowledge and then all of a sudden understanding it. And it's like, whoa. And I think it's almost like a head changes to a heart thing it's like you now know and you your eyes are open and so I'll give you some examples of some things that terrified me so number one uh, if you don't break up the uh, colonies of bad bacteria between your teeth mechanically so like mouthwash not enough you need to mechanically break them up with floss if you don't do that the colonies of bad bacteria will grow so much that they eat all the food off your teeth and they secrete an acid that starts to disintegrate your teeth in your mouth. It's slow, it happens over years, but eventually it will eat your teeth from the inside out and you have to have root canal, which I heard is one of the most painful things on the planet, and have your teeth ripped out of your face, which is also insanely painful. And, um, and that's like, I, I don't wanna do that, right? So every day, at least once, you need to disrupt those colonies. Literally, mechanically, it's like, I just imagine there's like all these nice bacteria just living and we're just putting a train through their village. Just It's like, no, you're not setting up camp here. Get out of my mouth, right? That's what I imagine when I do it. But if that wasn't scary enough, what turns out that if you have um, such a buildup of bad bacteria in your mouth, your body's immune system will be constantly activated. And so you'll constantly be inflamed and alert, which means your ability to fight off other diseases gets significantly reduced. So you're going to get sick more often. Um, and uh, you'll never really be in a proper state of rest where your body can properly recover. It's always going to be constantly being disrupted by the inflammation caused through not flossing your teeth, right? But if that wasn't bad enough, they have found that there's a causal link between periodontal disease, which is the disease that happens if you, if you don't get rid of that bad bacteria, and Alzheimer's. It's not just correlated, it's causal. Something to do with, with how those bacteria operate causes Alzheimer's in, later in life. 
are you scared like I was? <laughs> it's like, now, since listening to that, I have flossed every single day. Ask Jordy. You want to go home and floss right now? Yeah, yeah. Now, and, and, and this is what really scared me. When I first flossed, my teeth started to bleed. I'm like, oh, you know, this is bad floss. You know, it's cutting my gums. No, no, it turns out that's the, the early signs of periodontal disease. So, like, lucky I caught it when I did. So if your teeth bleed, just keep going every day. Just keep flossing. After about a week, they'll stop. Your, your, your mouth will properly heal, and then you won't have any problems. It's preventable and reversible, guys. That's the good news. It's preventable and reversible. Uh, just good anyway. But as funny as that is, I, it's a real illustration to me at how I agreed that you should floss every day, but now I have faith. I have faith in flossing. And I don't have to work hard to try and start the habit of flossing. I will floss every day. It is now a part of my routine because I have belief. I have genuine, there's no double-mindedness there anymore, right? And I, I really think that this is the idea that James is talking about. He's, he's showing us that all you need to do is look at your life and you will very quickly find out what areas of your life you lack faith in. And now, of course, we can think about you know, saving faith, faith in the Lord in this passage, but I think there's many different areas of our life in which we need faith. Some of them we have faith, and others we don't. Just like in some areas we are double-minded, and other areas we've got God's truth that we're confident in. So to, to sum up that passage again with the last verse, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This whole passage is not about the quality of your works. It's about the quality of your faith. And I'm not saying, and James is not saying, the way that you improve the quality of your faith is to go do stuff. Works don't change your faith. Just like I tried to start the habit of flossing many times over the last 10 years, but it never stuck because my works don't change my belief. It's the beliefs that generate the works. It's why we call it the fruit. It's just this natural expression of what we believe. And so as I wrap up this morning, I guess the question on everyone's lips is, so then how, how do I get better faith? How do I get faith that's alive when I have faith that's dead? Because I'm sure we all have areas in our lives that are dead faith. Well, the answer is, uh, it's, it's simple. We know that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Faith, if you're going to remember one thing I say, remember this. Faith is not a skill that you learn. I'm going to say it again, because this hit me when I, when I realized it. Faith is not a skill that you learn. It is a gift that God gives you. And so this morning, the band's going to come up. We're going to play one more song.
And I want to give us all an opportunity to do some reflecting because maybe some of you here need a gift of faith. There are areas of your life where you can now see, I've got dead faith for that. I mean, the last two years have been fantastic at exposing where we have dead faith. And I want to give you an opportunity, and I mean, you can do this whenever you want, but right now we're going we're gonna to open up and ask God for a gift of faith. Lord, I need faith for that. I can't generate it. I can't learn the skill. It's not a, a skill. It's a gift, and I need you to give it to me. I need you to give me faith for my financial situation, my work, my health, my future, my relationships. I, I, God, I need you to give me faith for that because I don't have it. And the good news is when, when we do have that faith, it makes evangelism so easy because people just take one look. It's like, wow, I can see your faith by your works, just like James said. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me or getting in a quiet place at home, whatever's comfortable for you, we're going to hear this song and I encourage you, have a look at your life. Find where the dead faith is and ask God for a gift. Thanks, team.